Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Chillin' with Millie, a podcast that is safe for the awkward. In today's episode, I am going to talk about Albert Fish's final moments and the beginning of a mysterious serial killer by the name of Jack the Ripper. Albert Fish confessed to having well over 100 victims, but he did not specify if they were all murdered children or if they were brutalized but left alive. For example, the one, the one man that Fish developed a sexual relationship with ended horribly when Albert Fish tortured him for about two weeks and then cut off half of this young man's penis. Originally, Albert Fish had the intent to kill this innocent young man, but he did not kill him because he feared that the heated climate outside would advance the decomposition of the body and then the smell would attract attention. So instead, Albert Fish treated the wound on the young man and then he left $10 with a kiss goodbye. After this, the fate of the young man and his whereabouts have remained hidden and unknown. But it was the letter to Grace Budd that I read in the previous episode that led to his arrest and execution. Fish led others to believe that he was going to take Grace to his niece's party for her birthday. And after that, they both were not seen again by Grace's family or anyone. Soon after, Fish sent a letter to Miss Bud um, talking about Grace's tragic demise, a letter filled with grammatical errors and simple spelling errors, a letter that was filled with coarse, vulgar, and lewd connotations. At his Wisteria Cottage in Westchester County, New York, Albert Fish strangled Grace Bud and carved up her body with a saw. I think I mentioned this in the other podcast episode before this, but it took six years for Albert Fish to write Grace's Bud's mother a letter that detailed this gruesome crime about him killing and cooking the young girl, Grace Bud. At this moment, he was 66 years of age, a perverted 66-year-old with no conscience and no um, dignity. He had a lack of dignity and decency an obsessed sadomasochist who would summon his own children to hit him with a paint stirrer and a hairbrush, a man who would hit himself with a paddle studded with nails, a man who inserted sewing needles into his rectum and ate his own excrement, the same man who burned himself with a hot iron and pokers. He is the most disturbed human being that I have ever read about, and I love writing fictional stories about disturbed people and he is by far the worst that I could have ever imagined to exist. Albert Fish was so obsessed and intrigued with the idea of cannibalism that he would carry around writings about his sick practice. This raises the question about what is going on inside his head. It is very hard to predict the development of a cannibal. One time, there was a 21-year-old cannibal killer named Ivan L., He was from Russia and was a chef who was besotted with the idea and act of eating human beings. He even took his love for this craft to the next level by making internet videos. Eating human flesh is not something new in history. Human beings ate flesh to terrify opponents to gain the enemy's strength. But it took a turn when people began eating human flesh as a way to gain satisfaction and terrorize people. Some cannibals are absolutely psychotic, but most are not psychotic and know exactly what they are doing. For example, Richard Trenton, a guy who reminds me a lot of Russell Brand because of how he looks. But anyways, Richard Trenton was nicknamed the Vampire of Sacramento. 
because he drank victim's blood similar to Albert Fish. But Richard Trenton drank his victim's blood because he believed that fresh blood would save him from the Nazis, FBI, and the space aliens who all were trying to get him in order to use poison to turn his fresh blood into powder. It was a crazy story, but that is sort of the gist of it. But anyways, back to Albert Fish. He may have been deemed as insane, but the jury decided that he deserved death as his fate. His last noted statement was a handwritten note that was indecent and filled with vulgarity. When it was time for Albert Fish to die, he pleaded insanity, and he also said that he was where, that he was hearing voices from the Heavenly Father that told him to kill children. Not only that, but Albert possessed more sexual fetishes and abnormalities than any other individual with fetishes. It was rumored that he died in three minutes because the needles inserted in his body caused the apparatus to short circuit, but they were later regarded as untrue. And so he died within a reasonable time frame, like everyone else. And those filthy letters that he wrote before his death will remain hidden from any and everyone, as stated by James Dempsey, Albert Fish's lawyer. But it is time to move on from Albert Fish and go back, um, go to Albert, um, sorry, Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper is an unidentified serial killer who was understood to be active in London around 1888 to maybe about 1891. But that is still up for, that is still up for debate because some believe that he was active until 1888 of November and never killed again after that year and month. They did have a name for him. Forensic scientists identified Jack the Ripper as Aaron Kozminski, a 23-year-old Polish barber. He was a prime suspect at that time. There were five suspects originally, originally, Montague John Druitt, Carl Fagenbaum, Aaron Kosminski, Francis Craig, and, Wal and Walter Sickert. Jack the Ripper was the killer from hell, but he was a very meticulous and quick-witted serial killer. I say that because he has led so many people on a wild goose hunt throughout London, throughout history. And to this day, he remains probably one of the biggest serial killer mysteries. And even with countless amounts of investigations that have led many to believe that they may have had sufficient evidence of his identity, they still came up short. And um, there are motives um, and a name, uh, but those motives and names are still sort of unknown. But one thing I found to be interesting, similar to Albert Fish, Jack wrote a letter the name of this letter is called From Hell, also known as the Lusk Letter. This letter was sent to the chairman of the White Chapel of Vigilance Committee, George Lusk. It was sent in October of 1888. It has been said that this letter was sent by none other, other than Jack the Ripper himself, who actually mutilated and murdered four women at the White Chapel in Spital Fields, which are districts in London. These murders happened a few months before the letter was received by Lusk. This is the same letter that began the chase to identify this perpetrator. The letter reads, From Hell, Ms. Mr. Lusk, Soar. I send you half the kidney I took from one woman, presaved it for you to, um, to other piece I fried and ate it was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife 
that took it out if only you wait a while longer. Signed, Catch Me When You Can, Mr. Lusk. This was a letter basically telling people that he will not stop until he has been found. It was a game of cat and mouse. Not only that, but if you read this letter online, there are a lot of grammatical errors. I think this is because education was basically dank during this time, and I'm pretty sure Jack the Ripper was very poor. He had a job, probably because all of his murders happened at night, so he probably worked in the daytime at a steady workplace and had holidays and weekends off to commit his murders and torture. But I still think that because of all the social class tensions happening during this time, that Jack the Ripper may not have been exactly um, a productive citizen in his society because of the worsened housing and working conditions. During this time of 1888, the streets of London, the Whitechapel area, there was basically nothing but crime and poverty, sweatshops, abattoirs, overcrowded slums, drinking areas, pubs, rundown places all over, and cottages. There was a also lots of prostitution in Victorian London, which is called Victorian London because this was during the reign of Queen Victoria. It was horrendous, beyond horrendous. Animal excrement, dark pathways, raw sewage that protruded a rancid smell that was very unbearable. And normally, when it comes to there being a very poor area, that also means education is scarce, money is greatly lacking, Foreign immigrants were suffering, and the foreign immigrants are probably what made up a vast majority of the population of the local residents. That means productivity is low, and that means disadvantaged neighborhoods becoming a target for deceit and foul play. So maybe that is why Jack the Ripper was so easily maneuvering. He blended in with the masses. No one ever suspected him because he was adapting to his surroundings. And normally, in impoverished neighborhoods, crime, small or big, is more likely because disadvantaged neighborhoods are less likely to be socially cohesive. Therefore, it is a bit easier for burglars to hide and lurk in the shadows to remain anonymous. Jack the Ripper will always remain a mystery, and by the looks of it, it seems that he was never really going to be found, even if they did continue to search for him during that time frame. The reason why I say that is because if London during this time was so grim-like and borderline run down, it is going to be hard to point fingers on who did what because you would just end up assuming all of the impoverished were guilty and you would get nowhere. I do not doubt that Jack the Ripper existed, but I think that from the beginning of them learning about these prostitute slayings, the story ended right there. There was even a shortage of manpower, all while there was an increase in population. Not only that, but the abilities of the task force would have had to have been strong and stern, and positions must be solid. But there was a lack of adequate members, probably because of the sickness and health reasons. Without any type of stability, there is no power, and without power, there is no effectiveness. So Jack the Ripper was just a free, deranged man roaming the streets looking for prostitutes to mutilate and disembowel, which is where you, um, disembowelment is where you um, would cut open and remove the internal organs. Disembowelment was used as a method of torture and execution. I think that maybe he chose prostitutes because they are people who will not really be missed. They're easy targets. And if this is during impoverished times, it must have been insanely easy to lure or snatch up a street worker in London. 
So um, some may even use the religious, the religious stigma and social stigma associated with being a sex worker as a way to justify the slaying of the sex workers. He could have been a Satanist around the 1980s, using Satan worshiping as a term to call people engaging in secretive and criminal behaviors, such as forced prostitution, drug distribution, and pornography, and other bizarre acts. That's what people called Satan, were deeming as Satanism in, 18, in 1980s. During the 1800s, Satan worshipers worshiping were more of conspiracies, and it wasn't until the 20th century that there was a moral panic regarding devil worshiping, cults, murder, sexual abuse, and cannibalism as a part of a ritual of some sort. Just like with Richard Ramirez, he mentioned how he was drawn to committing violent acts because of Satanism. Satan is the void of absolutes and light. I have mentioned before how it is so easy to do the wrong thing. It is so easy to go against any type of good standing and um, good standing morals because it does not take any work. You just simply stop complying and that is it. And now we are at the end of this podcast. I don't have a quote uh, today, but uh, thank you for listening. Adios.